The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC, and here is your top five at five. Stock slide may be set to roll on as caution continues to grip the markets. Futures, they are slightly in the red. Bitcoin gaining further mainstream momentum as another country gives the green light to legalize the crypto. China's crackdown on capitalism continues as two big companies get summoned by regulators over video game concerns. Shares of Boston Beer falling flat this morning. Customers' fading love of hard seltzer clouding the company's outlook. And your morning RBI is what you say is the biggest risk to the market right now. The surprising outcome of our recent poll. It's all happening on this Thursday, September 9th, and this is Worldwide Exchange. Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome from wherever in the world that you may be watching. I am Brian Sullivan. Thanks for joining us. Here's how your money is shaping up on this Thursday morning in futures. They are in the red, albeit mildly, not making too much of it, but they are down across the board with each of the major averages down about two to three tenths of one percent. Now, stocks did continue to lose steam yesterday. The Dow, the S&P closing down fractionally, while the Nasdaq actually pulled back from records down more than a half a percent. Investors remaining cautious over COVID, uncertainty on central bank policies, inflation, what have you, moving forward. We'll talk more about that in a moment. We also want to check the cryptos because Ukraine becoming the latest country to legalize Bitcoin. That country's parliament unanimously voting to regulate it and make it legal tender. Bitcoin right now is flat to slightly higher at about 46,400 Ethereum is up about one-tenth of one percent. More action around the world because we are awaiting the European Central Bank's latest call over its pandemic-related stimulus efforts. Jumana Bersecchi is in our London newsroom. Jumana, you got the trade and maybe what is expected from the ECB. Yeah, that's right, Brian. Though, as you can see from behind me, uh, there is a bit, a little bit of cautiousness into that ECB meeting in a couple of hours' time. But the handover from Asia was pretty weak, which is why you're seeing a lot of red on these European bourses. FTSE 100 leading the decline today, down 1.3 percentage points. 7,000 is the level to watch there. It's been a key psychological level. We've been teetering around there for the last couple of months and seem to be drawn back to it again. Kekahont in France down about half a percentage point. And then the relative outperformer, uh, underperformer for this week, the Zetradax, is outperforming today down four-tenths of a percentage point on some better trade numbers. Uh, but the bigger picture there is going to be at the, those federal elections that are happening in a couple of weeks' time. Lots of unknowns as to what the next grand coalition could look like. But as you mentioned, big day today when it comes to monetary policy. We're all watching very closely what the ECB decide to do. So they will be delivering their latest rate interest decision in a couple of hours time with two key questions that are set to be answered. Number one, 
whether it will tweak its pandemic emergency purchase program, also known as PEP, and number two, whether it will raise monthly asset purchases, so that is known as APP. Now, investment banking analysts are split on the answers, with some expecting PEP to remain unchanged, while others are forecasting a cut from around 80 billion euros to 70 or even 65 billion euros. Also, Brian, don't forget, they're going to be releasing their updated growth and inflation forecasts. So uh, it's going to be an interesting one to see whether or not they can succeed at withdrawing some of that monetary stimulus, but not rock, rock markets too much, which is what some people are expecting. All right, so App and Pep, not, not do they just sound like, you know, 1940s cartoon characters, but that, that is basically the, the tapering, as you guys would call it, over there, correct? Yeah, pretty much so. So the PET program was the emergency program that was introduced as a function of the pandemic, and that is set to end in March 2022. But they also have another more permanent program called the Asset Purchase Program, APP. They buy 20 billion euros worth of bonds a month, and that has an indefinite timescale. So we don't know when the APP program is going to end. It's, it's a bit more complicated over here in Europe than it is uh, in the U.S., as is everything, Jumana, at, because you've got this metric <laughs> system. You know, they're going to they're going to decrease in meters or something, I'm told. Jumana mm-hmm. Bersecci, thank you. <laughs> 745 a.m. New York time is, is the. Did you see the latest app? And pep? It was really swell. Thank you very much. All right. <laughs> Sticking with the markets and while stocks are showing signs of falling into the usual fall volatility. Your next guest says we may be seeing a little more than usual. Thanks to. Action out of D.C., inflation, everything else that's going on. Dan Vru is the co-chairman and chief investment officer at Palisade Capital Management. Uh, Dan, thank you. You know, we've got this thing called the fiscal cliff coming September 30th. We've got the negotiations over this $3.5 trillion package, which is likely to be wound down, but will probably include, you know, tax hikes. Are the markets on a macro level, I know you're a bottom-up stock picker guy too, are they underestimating some of the risks here? I think so, uh, certainly in the short run. But to be clear, in the longer term, uh, remain con- continue to remain bullish, mainly because, you know, where else are you going to put your money? Stocks remain the best place to be. Uh, as you know, Brian, we've talked a lot about small cap stocks. I think in particular, small cap will fare very, very well through this period. But we're going to have to go through probably a month or so of the debate, uh, a lot of changes to the bill. And some of those things are not going to be investor friendly. And I think the market perhaps hasn't taken it all in yet because the debate is just about to start. There's going to be some wild proposals that will be out there. And, you know, the bill's going to be probably 150, 200,000 pages long. There's going to be a lot of stuff in there that's going to be very difficult to uh, understand what it is. And it, it'll have some uh, uh, it, it'll affect various sectors. Uh, of the market, uh, but it but it could also affect the market in general, particularly on the tax side, which I'm most uh, which, yeah. which to me is most concerning because it really takes away uh, from the earnings picture going forward. Now, again, these are proposals; uh, these are things that are out there. Uh, it's as you mentioned, it's likely going to be scaled back significantly. And obviously, you know, the president's political capital is much less than what it was before, too. So a lot of things are playing in in a deeply divided House and Senate where there's really almost no margin for error. So whipping up votes yeah. on both, you know, on the part of the Democrats is going to be critical. They can't lose anybody. 
No, and, and but the Democrats also, on the flip side, Dan, have a have an incentive to get things done to sort of get Afghanistan off the headlines as well. We've got, by the way, Pinto's right. Libby Cantrill uh, coming up in a few minutes to talk more about what actually may be in this massive bill. From a stock perspective, Dan, you've talked to us about companies like Danaher and, and others. Are there still, even if we get higher corporate taxes, higher capital gains taxes, I've got to believe for you and your clients, there are still good opportunities out there. Look, necessity is the mother of invention. The best companies respond to changes. And, and again, these are going to affect the markets in the short run. You know, if you're over, if you if you own too much, uh, too much stocks and you don't have enough cash on the sideline, maybe you want to reevaluate that since the markets have done so well uh, so far. But to be clear, it's going to be it's going to present a great buying opportunity if there's a significant pullback in the market. And when I define significant, you know, I would say you know, in a range of five to 10%. Because again, we're early in an economic recovery. Uh, we're, we're still perhaps only mid-cycle. Uh, it's just a matter of, of, of how deep uh, lawmakers go from a tax perspective uh, and, and how much that impacts uh, the corporate profit picture going into 22 and beyond. And also the timing of when a lot of these tax uh, tax increases get implemented. Again, it's a long list of questions uh, that we have right now. We're going to begin to get some of those answers, and we may not like some of the answers that we get. Is there a capital gains rate at which the market simply can't sustain the number? I think that, you know, 27% is suggested. We've been there before. We've been higher than that before, and the markets did just fine. If the president gets his way, we get the 27% on a macro level. Will that be, you know, for lack of a better term, okay for the macro markets? Yeah, I, I mean, uh, you're, you're speaking on the corporate tax side. You know, uh, I, I guess the number being bandied about is um, I'm asking for 27, but I'll take 25. That, that, that's one component. Then there's this international tax, which is really complicated. And from my perspective, uh, the OECD countries, all they've really said is that they acknowledge that they're discussing this uh, hasn't been agreed yet, but you know, it's going to be really difficult to, Im- I don't know how they implement uh, a global tax like that. It, it seems like it could invite a lot of cheating uh, in various jurisdictions because, you know, a country will just say, well, I'll lower mine, you know, just, just to get more, more business into, into my country. Uh, yeah, it's just a lot of things, you know, it's one thing to have these proposals, but then how do you implement them? and make them actually work and, and generate revenue. So again, these are all questions. And of course, as, as you well know, uh, the market doesn't oftentimes like uh, the uncertainties that go along with some of these things. Because again, uh, a dollar of increased uh, taxes is a dollar yeah. less of corporate profits. And and stocks rise uh, on, uh, uh, based on corporate profits. But the key thing is focus your portfolio on quality and the definition of quality companies, as you know, we've talked a lot about companies with high financial returns, companies generating free cash flow. Those are the companies that are going to be able to actually take advantage if there is any market dislocation uh, as a result of this. Yeah. Maybe uh, uncertainty is the mother of reinvention when it comes to the macro That's equity right. markets. Dan, certainly September. Yeah. September shaping up to, to be a month to remember in Washington, no doubt. Dan Veru, Palisade Capital Management. Dan, appreciate you always getting up early for us. Valuable insight. Have a great day. Thank you. Thanks, Brian.
All right, you're very welcome. All right, let's get more now on some of this morning's top headlines outside of the markets, including the latest crackdown on Chinese technology companies by regulators there. Bertha Coombs is here, and she has more details. What's going on this morning, Bertha? Well, Brian, shares of Tencent and NetEase taking a big hit in overseas trading and here at home after Chinese regulators summoned the two companies to discuss recent new restrictions on game time for children. Officials also telling the pair that they should ban illegal content and change game designs that get users addicted. In response, Tencent and NetEase say that they will seek to comply with that guidance from regulators. Sticking with China, Kathy Wood's ARK Invest has reportedly reduced its exposure to that country. According to the Financial Times, Wood revealed the move during a conference last night, citing the environment in China was, quote, different, quite different, from one that might many asset managers poured money into late last year. The FT reporting that Woods now says her firm has left only a portfolio of companies that were identifiably, quote, currying favor with Beijing. And President Biden expected to call for an international summit focused on the global COVID response and vaccination efforts. According to reports, the proposal will be a part of a broader speech today on new initiatives to combat the pandemic. The gathering would reportedly be timed around United Nations General Assembly meeting set for later this month here in New York. And, you know, we talk about gridlock in Washington, Brian. The U.N. meeting definitely brings actual gridlock to traffic here in New York, and it appears they're going to be meeting in person. And, and the gridlock already in New York City, despite almost nobody being back in the office, at least in Midtown, is unbelievable. It's like where is, everybody's driving their car now. They're not on the, on the subway or going on a bus into the Port Authority anymore. Bertha Coombs, we'll see you in a few minutes. Thank you very much. All right. Well, there is so much more to do on this busy Thursday morning. And when we come back, some of this morning's big money movers, including what has shares of Reddit crowd favorite GameStop down over 7% right now. Plus, Jay Powell getting the seal of approval from one top Democrat for another term as the central bank chief. Later on, if you haven't paid attention to natural gas, you should. Natural gas prices surging to their highest levels in more than seven years. We'll dive into the factors behind that spike, why it matters. A very busy hour still ahead when Wex returns right after this. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. 
All right, welcome back. Time now for some of your big money movers on this Thursday. Three key stock stories of the day. Stock number one, Lululemon. That stock could trade at an all-time high today. They reported better than expected second quarter results, and they raised their guidance for the year. Consumers are shopping at Lululemon stores and online for things like leggings, jogging or jogging pants, and sports bras for their stay-at-home wardrobes. But they're also snapping up stretchy pants and comfortable clothes as they return to the office. You can catch, by the way, the company see on Squawk Box at 8.45 a.m. Eastern. Stock number two, Boston Beer, the company pulling guidance it gave in July as demand for hard seltzers continues to slow. The maker of Truly, which is the hard seltzer, expects to incur inventory write-offs, shortfall fees paid to third-party brewers, and other costs. And stock three, what else? GameStop. Now, GameStop shares down about 7% right now. Company's second quarter revenue did beat the street, but it reported a wider loss. Management also failed to lay out any fresh details about how the company plans to transform itself into a gaming and entertainment retailer. Full stop. All right, on deck. Democrats. Lengthy to-do list hitting new speed bumps. Is President Biden's ambitious $3.5 trillion spending package at risk? Emco's Libby Cantrell is here. What she believes is likely to happen. And there could actually be some good news in it around taxes. We'll tell you how in a moment. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. All right, welcome back. Let's get a check on some of this morning's other top headlines, including developments overnight from the on the ground in Afghanistan. Philip Men is in New York now with that and more. Good morning, Philip. Hi, Brian. Good morning. Yeah, the Taliban has agreed to allow 200 Americans and other civilians to leave Kabul on a charter flight to Qatar today. This will be the first international departure since the Taliban took over. An official tells Reuters the Taliban were pressed to allow the departures by U.S. Special Representative Zalmay Khalizad. And Tropical Storm Mindy has hit the Florida panhandle. So far, more than 7,000 people have lost power. The National Weather Service is issuing a flash flood warning for Tallahassee and Bradfordville. Mindy is the 13th named storm this year. And we're just hours away from the official NFL season kickoff right here. Uh, it'll be over on NBC, rather. The Super Bowl champion Buccaneers are hosting the Dallas Cowboys. It starts at 7 p.m. Eastern. Tom Brady will begin his quest, Brian, for an eighth ring as Tampa Bay hopes to be the first back-to-back champs in 17 years. Uh, But what would the start of the season be without a little COVID controversy? The NFL Players Association is pushing for daily testing for players regardless of vaccination status. Last week, the league had agreed to weekly testing for players. So uh, we still have all of the obstacles, Brian, when it comes to COVID. But uh, like we mentioned before, Tom Brady now in his mid-40s going for ring number eight. Keep in mind, he has more rings than all the franchises have. You know, the Patriots and the, and the Steelers, I think, have six. He's got seven. It's still incredible. I mean, the, guy, the guy is a machine. Love him or hate him, he is just truly incredible. Uh, 
Two questions. Do you think they repeat? And have you seen the ticket prices? Because I did. The worst seat in the house in Tampa Bay is over 200 bucks, and a mid-level seat is about $1,200. I mean, it's a chance to say... Yes, exactly. It's a chance to say, hey, I saw the greatest of all time do it. And, you know, they had unprecedented uh, retention in players in Tampa Bay. Usually people just uh, go to take the big contracts after you win a Super Bowl. But they all wanted to come back, some taking pay cuts just to play with uh, the greatest quarterback of all time. Calling him the GOAT. Yeah, going to be tough to repeat. But uh, like you said, the first team in 17 years. But we'll see if they can do it. Returning pretty much, well, everybody. Philomena, yeah. thank you very much, buddy. Appreciate it. That game is tonight, I think about 8.20 p.m. Eastern time. All right. Let's now get to some of this morning's other top trending stories, which include the return of a Thanksgiving tradition, a very expensive default, and a trailer that could show you just how deep the rabbit hole may really go. Bertha Coombs back now with those. Bertha, what's going on? Hey, Brian. So the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade is set to happen with full crowds as normal this year. The 95th iteration of the parade will resume its regular route after having to shorten it last year. It will also require all participants and staff to be vaccinated and wear face coverings. A Los Angeles mega mansion billed as the world's most expensive house called The One has defaulted on $165 million in debt. The Bel Air home, dubbed the one, was expected to sell for $500 million back in 2017, but has been plagued by construction and funding problems. The home is heading for sale now, likely to be a lot less than that. And the new trailer for The Matrix Resurrections is set to come out this morning at 9 a.m. Eastern. Warner Brothers is currently teasing the trailer on the site whatisthematrix.com where viewers can click a red or blue pill option to watch over 180,000 possible videos that change depending on location and time of day. That site had first been launched back in 1999 along with the release of the very first movie. And check on the top trending stocks here on CNBC.com right now. AMC Entertainment, meme stock, once again, number one. People still looking at the 10-year treasury, Tesla, Prologis, and Alibaba. Brian? You know that house, Bertha, has multiple kitchens. The master bedroom is (laughs) 4,000 square feet. All the doors are electric and the guy who wanted to de- or developed it wanted to have what's called something called a jellyfish room. I assume that's a giant aquatic tank with jellyfish, I hope. But that was just a little bit over yeah, the top. Yeah, our, our Robert It's 105,000 square Robert feet. Frank toured it. You, yep. I, oh, really? I think it could be an incredible B&B, don't you think? High atop Bel Air. It's bigger you know, than most hotels, Bertha. I mean, it could be an incredible LA. four seasons. Right. It just ha- it only has nine bedrooms, <laughs> so I- it would be incredibly exclusive. That's uh, my thought. I mean, yeah, I think they're going to have to do something with it because, I mean, can you imagine the upkeep costs? Like, forget about buying it. What about <laughs> maintaining that place? 105,000 yeah. square feet. You, you know, you got to have, inter- you know, where are you? Find I, my, you know, I, you're on your find my iPhone so you can find your, you know, your spouse <laughs> exactly. somewhere in the house. 
<laughs> exactly. Everybody has to wear are. one of those little chips. <laughs> yeah, play sound. Bertha, thank you. All right, see you in a few minutes. All right, still ahead. Will it be Europe or will it be us? As we await the ECB's latest policy move, which central bank will blink and pull the taper trigger first? We'll be right back. A September slide. It's looking more likely as futures sag a bit once again. Dow futures off 75. Not the same for natural gas. It's on fire at a more than seven-year high, adding fresh fuel to ongoing inflation worries. Speaking of worries, your morning RBI. And what has you, the faithful WEX viewer, saying is the biggest macro risk to the markets right now? We'll tell you what it is on this Thursday, September 9th, and this is Worldwide Exchange. All right, good morning. Welcome or welcome back, everybody. It is 5.30 on the news. Thanks for joining us. Well, here's how your money is shaping up on this Thursday morning, and we are seeing futures in the red once again. Again, not huge declines. We're not down a couple hundred points. We're down 63 on the Dow. In fact, fair value for the Dow futures is actually in the green. So the way the markets end up going, anybody's guess, but we have been a little bit weak lately. Stocks continue to lose steam yesterday with the Dow and the S&P. They're closing down fractionally. The Nasdaq also pulling back from some new records, down more than one half of 1%. Investors maybe just taking the week off, nervous about COVID, central bank policies, insert fear here, who knows? We'll get more on all that in just a moment. One market to watch very closely right now, though, not stocks, is natural gas. Natural gas prices, they are flaring, doubling off April's lows. Coming in now close to 5 bucks per million BTUs. Keep in mind, if you don't pay attention to natural gas, we don't blame you. No worries. But nat gas was at about 250 in April, so it's nearly doubled. The question is why natural gas is soaring right now, even as oil prices stay relatively flat. Well, it's not one easy answer. It's kind of a combination of a lot of things. Number one, You got overall U.S. production of oil down. Gas is a natural byproduct of oil drilling. You've got the Hurricane Ida slowdown as well, reducing natural gas production in the Gulf of Mexico. That will come back, but it's been a lag. You've got very strong U.S. demand. You've got Asia and Mexico buying more. And in Europe, Russia has slowed down their supplies, which has frustrated them. In fact, you think prices are high here. Go to Europe, they're about three times as high, which means we're also now going to export more to Europe, causing more competition for U.S. natural gas. It is not just the hurricanes that have caused this. The federal government yesterday coming out, actually having to address the natural gas issue, saying, quote, Hurricane Ida affected natural gas production at a time that the United States was already experiencing higher gas prices due to growth in exports, strong domestic natural gas consumption, and relatively flat natural gas production. That is the EIA's acting administrator, Steve Nally. Now, in a time that many are worried about inflation, this is not the kind of news that people want to see because natural gas impacts, well, pretty much everything in a big way. Number one, natural gas powers about 40% of all your electricity out there, meaning your air conditioning bill now or your heating bill later is going to spike unless prices turn back down soon. Nat gas also a big source for things like industrial uses, 
the production of chemicals, which means that many products are also going to go up in price. In fact, fair to say, natural gas may be the most inflationary force out there right now, more than anything else. Just watch natural gas prices, something to watch. All right, let's get back down to some of this morning's other top headlines outside of natural gas. Bertha is back with those. Bertha, what else is going on this Thursday morning? Brian, let's start in Washington, where a debate is brewing over the future of Fed Chairman Jay Powell. Centrist Democratic Senator John Tester wants President Biden to nominate Powell for another term. Now, Tester sits on the powerful banking committee and says he's worried about recent calls from progressive House Democrats who want Powell replaced by someone focused on pushing more liberal political priorities. Tester argues politicizing the central bank would hurt the economy. United Airlines says employees granted religious exemptions to the company's COVID vaccine mandate will be placed on temporary unpaid leave starting next month. The airline cites the recent rise in COVID cases. Meantime, in other news out of the sector, industry trade group Airlines for America reportedly plans to announce that it supports a higher target for sustainable aviation fuel by 2030. The White House is holding a virtual event on sustainable aviation today. I'm not quite sure what that means, Brian. I guess Phil LeBeau would know more. But does that mean we're going to be plugging in planes? And with natural gas prices so high, that's going to also make it high to do that. Yeah, the, the plug-in won't work. I talked to an airline executive recently because the, the, you need to turn the plane over too quickly. The only thing that might work is a battery swap out. But the batteries would have to be so big, there'd be no room at the airports to do that. I don't know if it's a biofuel, maybe, something like that. By the way, Bertha, did you mm. see that New York State plans or is going to ban gas-powered cars by 2035? That's only 14 years from now. Everybody in Brooklyn or the Queens, I don't know, do you have a plug at your apartment? You better well, throw it- one in there. Well, you know, it's interesting. I was at a garage yesterday because I, I, I was doing a report in Midtown. I parked at a garage and just to park, you had to pay $10 in addition to the parking to charge your car. So in New York City, it's very expensive to charge your car because they don't have them on every street corner. Um, so I, I, the infrastructure really needs to get built up if we're going to move towards that in New York State. These chargers are 150 to $400,000 on a large scale. I mean, that's for mm-hmm. a single or a dual charger. I'm sure every landlord in Queens and Brooklyn and Manhattan is going to rush out to spend millions to make sure there's hundreds of chargers. <laughs> oh, by the way, and adding the electric grid. It's, it's an ambitious goal. We'll see what happens. Very Martha, ambitious. Thank you. Very ambitious. Yeah. Yeah, we'll see what happens. Net zero, by the way, does include plug-in hybrids now, so it makes it a little more palatable. All right. Well, if you had made a bet months ago that the European Central Bank would start cutting its asset purchases before the U.S. Fed, well, you should go directly to go and collect $200. The ECB is expected to announce today it will dial back some of the emergency economic measures and aid put in place during the pandemic, but don't you dare call it tapering. Because even with inflation at a 10-year high, any move is likely to be just around the margins. Talk more about this and the balancing act that the ECB and our Fed are facing. And bring in Gina Sanchez, CEO of Chantico Global and a CNBC contributor 
We got that decision coming out in just about two hours, 7.45 a.m. New York time. Gina, what do you think the ECB is going to do? Like the ECB has uh, better psychology than the U.S. for making an adjustment. No, this isn't a taper, Brian. It's an adjustment. Uh, and an adjustment to the program in the range of about 10 to 20 billion euros uh, in terms of a, a reduction of, of purchasing in the PEP program. And, and what that means is, is that, that you know, the Eurozone is experiencing a couple of things at the same time. One, they've overtaken the U.S. in terms of vaccination rates in August. Uh, so they have a, now a more highly vaccinated population. Growth in the ECB is definitely turning up. And that growth is being revised up dramatically. Uh, it went from 4% expected growth for the end of the year to 4.8 just since April. And CPI is coming in pretty hot. 3.3% year over year is the preliminary. We'll get the final this week. But that's going to be a little challenging for the ECB not to do something. So, you know, the, the anticipation is that they will make an adjustment and they're probably going to be the Fed. And the Fed has the bigger problem that the psychology is opposite. We got way ahead of expectations. Now we're revising down expectations in the U.S. Uh, because we're sort of underperforming those very high expectations. So is it better to be an optimist yeah. or a pessimist? <laughs> I never, well, always an optimist, Gina. You know the answer to that. I mean, <laughs> I never thought I'd call $20 billion small money. But I mean, if that's sort of the monthly number we're talking about, the ECB, it's, I mean, in 2021, it's kind of chump change. Is it going to matter to the market even if they do it? Yeah, no, I, I agree. It's amazing. You know, a, a $10 billion here, $10 billion there. Soon you're talking about real money. Yeah, you have a $100 a week allowance and your parents pull it back to $99.75 because they want to punish you. I mean, that's kind of, it's sort of kind of how it feels as far as the scale of the numbers there. But at some point, the aid will be pulled back, I guess, unless till it's not. What about our Fed, Gina? And we know it doesn't matter if they taper in November or January. It might matter to like a, a day trader of interest rate futures, but for long-term investors, it doesn't. What's your take on what our Fed ultimately does? You know, our Fed is is a really a little more challenged right now. Uh, one, you have this political conversation about whether or not uh, or whether or not, you know, we'll see Powell, you know, maintaining his role at the Fed. Um, but, you know, again, that psychology is hard. You have hit the peak in terms of expectations and now we're revising down and the numbers are still really strong. Um, Brian. So nobody should be complaining right now. And yet we are. The markets are, are feeling weakish. They're not falling off of a cliff, but they're not exactly strong. And, and so, you know, I think that it makes it sort of more challenging and there's greater importance to that decision than right now at the ECB, where everything's firing on all cylinders. Growth is working. Uh, revisions are upward, you know, are, are up. The, the stock market is doing well. There's really not a lot of reason not to taper um, in, in Europe, whereas in the U.S., making that tapering yeah. decision um, seems like it's going to deflate a lot of balloons. Oh, by the way, I'm not going to ask you to chime in, but you're in California. And by the way, thanks for getting up or staying up, Gina. We do appreciate it. A couple days from now, we got kind of this, I don't know, you heard about this recall election, uh, you know, kind of a big deal. Uh, don't chime in on that, but how, how is California doing? My, my, my place of my birth, Los Angeles, 
people out and about, economic activity. Anecdotally, what are you seeing? Look, we've actually seen a lot more activity because we could do a lot more activity outside. So the restaurant stayed open. A lot of stuff just kept chugging right along. Good. It's good to hear the kids getting back in school as well. Big day next week for the state of California, by the way. Gina Sanchez, Chantico Global, thank you very much. Have a great day. Take care. Thanks, Brian. All right. On deck. You're very welcome. From an infrastructure bill to the fiscal cliff. And, by the way, avoiding a government shutdown. PIMCO's Libby Cantrill is here to tell you what you can be expecting out of the nation's capital and this massive, maybe multi-thousand page infrastructure and social spending bill. That's next. All right, welcome or welcome back. Let's go now to Washington, D.C., where congressional Democratic leaders say they are planning to move forward with trillions in new government spending, despite the growing threat by Senator Joe Manchin to block some of that. The inter-party fighting coming amid a packed to-do list this month with high stakes for President Biden's economic agenda. And your next guest says failure is simply not an option for the Democratic Party. For more, let's bring in Libby Cantrill, PIMCO's head of public policy. Libby, it's a pleasure to have you back on again. Congress, they come back next week. We don't have a lot of details on what may be in this probably multi-thousand page, literally, legislation. There have been some sort of leaks. What do you know? What can you tell us about what we might start to see next week? Yeah, well, good morning, Brian. Yeah, so what we will see uh, at the end of, of this week and then the beginning of next week is some of the draft from the tax perspective. Remember that uh, this, this bill is not only likely to include tax increases, but also will include some tax credits, uh, uh, mostly for you know, individuals who are, who are working, uh, who have children. These are child care tax credits, child tax credits, what have you. So we're going to see it on sort of both sides of the ledger, both kind of child, uh, tax increases and also uh, tax tax cuts, but Brian, what you, you previewed at the, at the top is exactly right. I mean, this is this should be sort of viewed as the second or third inning. We have a long way to go before we actually get a final bill that's voted on by the House or the Senate. Uh, our view is likely time frame is sort of year year end, but between now and then, it is not going to be linear. It is going to be uh, pretty iterative, and you're going to see more of this very predictable Democratic infighting uh, going on in sort of full display between now and then. And the Democrats, well, most politicians tend to be savvy people. And I read something. Let me tell me what you think about it. That basically. There was a thought that the Democrats may tie hurricane relief or Afghan relocation or Afghan relief into parts of this bill. So, in other words, if the Republicans push back on anything in the bill, the Democrats can say, you don't want to help people in Louisiana? You don't want to help the situation in Afghanistan? Do you you think it's going to be tied like that so they can just basically hammer the political opposition by, you know, you're heartless because they're going to roll everything into one package? Yeah, well, Brian. There, so there are a lot of there are lots of different bills that are um, sort of being being floated around here in terms of the headlines. I think what you're referring to is the end of year funding bill, which the Democrats are likely going to attach the debt ceiling increase, which of course needs to be increased by probably some, somewhere between mid to, to late October. Uh, I think the plan as of now, although this is very dynamic, to your point, is to attach that hurricane relief and the relief for Afghan refugees to that bill. 
to do exactly what you just said, uh, to then sort of hammer Republicans, especially in those states that have been impacted by these recent hurricanes, uh, that they're not supportive of this. So we'll see how that strategy works. It's high stakes, though, as you said, because as we know Republicans, uh, majority of Republicans in the Senate have already indicated that they will not vote for a debt ceiling increase or debt ceiling suspension under any conditions. Yeah. Very quickly, Libby, I don't know if you heard it. I teased you as potentially having some good news on taxes, which sounded probably odd, but that's the point of a tease. (laughs) Because, yeah, there's probably corporate taxes going up, individual taxes going up. But for our viewers in the Northeast, there may be some relief on the amount they can deduct from state and local taxes in this bill, correct? Hopefully, maybe. Yes. I mean, don't get too excited. We're talking about incremental relief. We're talking about the current $10,000 cap maybe be increased to 20,000, maybe even 30,000, probably not a full reinstatement of salt like many people here in New York or California would like, uh, but you will see some salt relief. But what important remember, Brian, that the salt deduction actually is fully reinstated come 2026. So this is sort of a relief to that point, uh, at which point uh, the the deduction is supposed to be reinstated if Congress or the president doesn't do anything. Could be some good news in the North. I want to have our viewers have a little good news at 545 or whatever it is in the morning. Libby Cantrill, having you on is always good news. Thank you. Have a great day. Thank you. You too. All right. You're welcome. Right on deck. The biggest risks to the market right now are, well, we asked you, our loyal viewers and Twitter followers, and you have spoken and your findings on that question next. If you haven't already, follow our podcast, Dow Futures. They're down a bit. Bitcoin, down to touch as well. We're back right after this. All right, time now for your morning RBI. And today's most random but interesting thing is what many of you think about the risk to the macro market. We asked in a Twitter poll this question, quote, with the Fed likely a non-issue for a few months, the biggest macro risk to the stock market rally is, I'll give you four choices, the economy slows, new COVID concerns, geopolitical like China, etc., and tax hike fears. And the answers, well, they're pretty well balanced, unlike most of Twitter. But 34% of you said that new COVID concerns were the biggest risk to stocks right now. That was followed by an economic slowdown, which is probably subsidiarily related, I know, to the COVID story. And then tax hike fears and geopolitical issues rounded it out. But still overall, a pretty balanced poll, maybe the true wall of worry, if you will. But some of you also wrote in other responses. Alex says, It's D.C. and the fiscal cliff coming on September 30th. And Emmy the Lab sounds worse as that worsening global supply chain disruptions may indeed be the bigger risk to the market. So there you go. Very much appreciate all the responses there. Put out these polls periodically. We want to know what you think because we care. Let's dive further into this and the markets with Keith Lerner. He's co-chief investment officer at Truist Advisory Services. Keith. How would you have answered that poll? Well, I mean, at first I would say, Brian, um, it's interesting. It's like this ongoing carousel of concerns that the market constantly deals with. I do think the political wrangling into September is probably the biggest near-term risk. But often what really hurts the market the most is something we're not talking about today, something that's not in the in the headlines as a whole. But, but I think the big picture, especially when you look at it over the next 12 months, um, none of these things that were brought up suggests that recession is imminent. In fact, we still think we're relatively early to this economic expansion. Profit trends are still positive. And the other thing is that the strong momentum that we've seen over the last seven months 
tends to be a positive when looking at, you know, six months out and so. So listen, Brian, those concerns are going to continue. There's always a chance of a hiccup, but we're, we're telling our clients, focus on that 12-month trend, which we still see as positive. Yeah, you know, this might be our RBI tomorrow because when I get lazy, I just rip people, smart people like you off. Uh, when the markets, when the S&P 500 is up, I think it is 15% through August, as we have been this year, the S&P 500 tends to gain the rest of the year. So the history says that uh, it doesn't mean it's going to happen, but the bull market history certainly seems to be on our side. That's right, Brian. That's one way we looked at it, saying if we have strong gains through August, does that tend to continue into year end? And the answer is yes. That doesn't mean there hasn't been pullbacks along the way. Doesn't mean there's going to be a little bit of disruption. But uh, strength is something not to be feared. Uh, The other thing we looked at is when you have seven straight months of gains, when we look at six months forward, um, the market has been up 13 out of 14 times. So maybe another RBI, Brian, with an average gain of about 8%. And the other stat I'll just throw out there is when the economy's in expansion on a one-year basis, the market tends to rise about 85%. So all we can really do is look at the weight of the evidence. The weight of the evidence suggests still a positive market uh, backdrop, obviously somewhat of moderating returns after this big snapback. And, Brian, another stat is we've, gone, um, we've only had two years in the last 40 years where we haven't seen a 5% pullback. The sharpest pullback this year has only been about 4%. So I would say that there is still a chance of at least one gut check before year end. But I think investors are better served to really focus on that primary trend as opposed to getting too cute about a 5 or 7% pullback. Well, I mean, we're yeah, don't we want the gut check, Keith? I mean, we're, we're looking at a chart of the S&P 500. It goes up and has a drop, up and has a drop. It just keeps going up right now. A 5 or 10% pullback, I mean, honestly might be a good thing in some ways, right? Because we're just, it's just get, it's just kind of a bizarre market right now. Yeah, you know, those gut checks kind of reset investor sentiment and expectations. So it allows you then to move forward. But I will say, even though the main headline index has done really well, if you look at the S&P equal weighted index, which is more of a proxy for the average stock, that's only up about 3% since May. So what is that telling you? It's telling you that We've seen this internal rotation from one sector to another, and uh, large parts of the market have already uh, corrected. So I don't think the market underneath the surface is as stressed as the headline index may, you know, may, may show. Yeah. Is it still all about big tech, Keith, or is there some other part of the market that you and your team at Truist like right now? Yeah, well, big tech's actually held in there really well. I think we're at a critical level right now as far as on a relative strength level that it still hasn't moved above the highs from last year. So that's something we're watching closely. But some of the areas that we uh, like, I think the REIT sector is still underappreciated, acting better. It actually has a, yeah. a good balance of tech as far as warehouses and also the reflation trade. Um, we still like um, the communications area, which is more of a growth area. Um, we've seen some rotation back there. And then more of a value play. We still think financials have upside, trading at a really deep discount to the market. Got it. And we've seen yields gradually move up uh, here recently. A lot of love for the REITs coming out lately. And Keith Lerner and his team at Truist, they like it as well. Keith, a pleasure to get you on. I'm going to steal your RBIs. Thank you very much, my friend. Take care. Have a great day. And folks, thank all of you out there for tuning in to Worldwide Exchange. That does it for us. We'll be back tomorrow with another insider buying segment to this week. Lucky you. We'll see you then. Squawk Box is next. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only 
on CNBC. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.